Time for us to put on Hollywood California's finest dresses and, together, truly become the pretty woman on this episode of That Song From That Movie. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your steaming divot host, Dietrich. Mm-hmm. And as always, we welcome the man who doesn't usually rent rooms by the hour, Alex. <laughs> the operative word there being usually. Usually. Yeah. It's usually. in italics. Yeah. <laughs> or brackets. I respect them. <laughs> and uh, also joining us is the guy who wants his money now and he wants to get out of here, Ben. Usually. allegedly i'm gonna end everything i say just because we don't often fact check on this podcast with allegedly (laughs) often fact check we don't often allegedly check our facts allegedly we arguably check them yeah usually usually think about checking (laughs) how vague can we be i don't know quite usually I would like to know in the past fortnight what have you been watching? Cha cha cha. Um, I well, I've been watching the TV show House of Dragon, uh, which is uh, is it any good? I've not I've not started it yet. Oh, House of the Dragon for non Yorkshire listeners. House of the Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> House of the Dragon. Um, have you watched Game of Thrones? Presumably, Ben. Yeah. Uh, yes, and it's... it was so bad. I was it so it ended so poorly that I completely erased it all from my brain. Yeah, well, th- other than the fact that it's obviously based on characters from the show, it's complete. It is completely different. Um, it's a lot better paced for one thing, and it's a lot more focused in on a certain number of characters. So rather than it feeling very sprawling and very confusing, and you're like, "Do I know who this character is?" <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's a lot easier to kind of just like watch, just sit down and watch it. And it's, it's I would really recommend it. It's good. Okay, it's good. that's that's good to know. Yeah, so I would, I would I would recommend anyone who has watched Game of Thrones to watch it. I'm not sure I'd recommend someone who has not. Um, Hi. Yeah, so that, and I also re-watched the Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby film. Don't ask me why, I just did. Yeah, my, <laughs> I, my wife loves that film, and I, every time I watch it, I just still don't get it. I think the soundtrack's banging. Yeah, maybe we'll cover it one day, so I won't yeah, go into yeah. too much detail. But I actually own it on Blu-ray, and I've never watched it. you never watched <laughs> it. I, I, I personally think it's kind of a fun film, but it is very far removed from the... Much of the points oh, of the it, novel. There's just so much CGI and so much pointless CGI. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting watch. So, how about you, B? I think I've only watched one film this past week. I watched After Yang. Have you heard of that? Nope. Nope. Not uh, really. It's like, you know, um, Colin Farrell seems to have nope. recently been doing... <laughs> 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 Allegedly, Colin Farrell. He's just, over the past sort of like six or seven years, he's just been doing really weird kind of indie films. I think it's an A24 film about a family who adopt, they adopt a Chinese uh, daughter and in order to help the daughter understand her heritage, they have a robot who basically acts like an older sibling, but the robot then malfunctions and it's like some weird, very slow burning indie drama. It was kind of good, but a bit weird. There's an incredible dance scene, which I would recommend you watch. Colin Farrell. Because Colin dancing. Farrell, yeah, but like dancing like um, dancing stage mega mix dancing. Oh, 
you know, I like the sound of that. Yeah. So, uh, and it, that happens about five minutes into the film. So, um, you know, if you have a short attention span, you can end it there. Sounds good. <laughs> what about you, D? I brought it up on the podcast before, like last year, oh, no. and I got a derision from Alex. I wondered whether or not he had watched the new series of Brassic this year. Nope. I've not watched any of the Brassic. <laughs> I was hoping that after my uh, <laughs> recommendation last year and going, no, it's actually really good. You should watch it. That you actually went and watched it. Well, so it's a disappointment to hear yeah. because uh, the new series is just as good as always. Yeah. It's the best British television show at the moment, mm. and I bet. And I based on the fact I watch one. To be fair, you watch a lot more British TV than me. What one show? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. I don't yeah. think Gogglebox counts, Ben. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm still watching reruns of Peep Show. Hmm. Well, I recommend it again. And where can the good uh, listeners of that song for that movie find Breast? <laughs> Other than In Your Heart, um, it would be on somewhere that has the Sky Store. Sponsors. You've lost me. You've lost me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Now TV, is that that's Sky? That is Sky. Related. You'd be able to find You'll it. find out if me and Alex have watched it on the next season of Brassic. Okay, cool. I, I look forward to <laughs> next next, <laughs> next November's episode where I ask if you've watched season five of Brassic. Che, che, che. <laughs> so this week, we are not being paid $3,000, but we know who is the titular Pretty Woman in the movie Pretty Woman, and also Roy Orbison for the use of his song, Oh Pretty Woman. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out. Time for some history. Lovely stuff. Yes, Pretty Woman was released in June 1990 in the United Kingdom. And as is now this tradition that I make, and I think doing things twice accounts for a tradition. Yep. I've skipped news. I'm looking at what films, what films came out. And to be fair, a great film came out in June 1990. No, not Pretty Woman. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film came out, which has a song that we will one day cover by Partners in Crime. Ninja Rap. (laughs) Yeah, which is absolutely fantastic. But there was a lot of good films. Like last week I was saying it was terrible. June 1990 had Total Recall. Great film. Nice. Gremlins 2. Better than Gremlins 1. I don't know if that's true, but uh, it's a good film. Uh, Frankenhooker. What are your favourites? <laughs> Frankenhooker. It's a grail film that critics like it. It's not just weird. Um, <laughs> I promise you, every film needs to be has that little expletive. Um, but I like to find those hidden gems. And I've ke- come across a film that I've never heard of before called Shredder Orpheus. Now, this is not a t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles association. What do you think Shredder Orpheus is about? So it's, it's Orpheus, not Orpheus. Like, like O, no, O-R-P-H-E-U-S. Orpheus. Something Shakespeare related? Mm. Is it? Um, no. <laughs> uh. Shredder Orpheus. I, I, I can't even think what the word Orpheus is a reference to, other than Morpheus from The Matrix, which I've seen <laughs> 10 years or so later than this. If you open up your WhatsApp, guys, I've just linked you the trailer of Shredder Orpheus. It is one minute long, and I want you to at least watch like 20 seconds of it, because it explains it almost instantly. There's a lot of skateboarding going on. And now, they're shredding their way to hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, is that a Nazi? With Shredder Orpheus. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 
futuristic guitar and a skateboard from hell. Orpheus. Skateboard from hell. So what's your trick? Don't ever do that. The editing is shocking. <laughs> the editing of this trailer is terrible. It's so skateboarder pits. Orpheus and friends go to hell to stop television signals that are brainwashing America, armed only with his futuristic guitar, which looks like a... <laughs> it's, it's just a, a square piece of card with three strings over it. Uh, and, was that oh, supposed to be a guitar? Oh, and yeah, that's for the guitar. <laughs> that falls on the ground, yeah. Uh, also a skateboard from hell. Well, yeah, of course. It seems like the executives of early 1990s were like, what do kids love? They love skateboards. They love rock and roll. They like hell. <laughs> and then the fools, the absolute fools, put it up against the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. I know. It was doomed to obscurity. It was, <laughs> it yeah. was unfortunately. They even tried to match it with the Shredder line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, unfortunately... We're not here to talk about Shredder Orpheus. I mean, that, there is, that is very unfortunate. <laughs> I will watch it one day, and I will find out if there is a song. And there has to be if it has. He's <laughs> literally playing guitar for half of the trailer, <laughs> so there must be. Uh, now, today we are talking about Pretty Woman. So, for those unaware, Pretty Woman is an American comedy by Gary Marshall, starring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. So the film follows Hollywood prostitute Vivian Ward, who is hired by wealthy businessman Edward Leese, to escort him on several functions over a week in which their relationship blossoms. Now, I think we've all seen this one, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you? I think you've watched this fairly recently for the first time, is that right? Yep. Another movie I've watched for the first time. Can you tell us? Oh, yes. Can you please tell us about your thoughts of a 1990s film in 2022? <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, so I watched it the first time in preparation for this. So, But I think it's unfair to say that I went in with, like, no idea what the film was going to be like because through, like, parodies and pop culture and, you know, that kind of stuff, I already sort of knew what it was about and I sort of knew certain scenes was going to happen in the movie as well. Such as the the uh, ring case closing. Yeah, exactly. What I wasn't expecting, however, and, and I suppose this is a knock on the film, the setting up of the premise of the movie takes... 50 minutes, hmm. something like that. It's really like dragged out. If you were to give a plot summary, that's half the film. Hmm. It feels like it could be 10, 15 minutes tops. A rich banker hires a sex worker for a week. That's that's a, that's one scene. Sounds like a good film. <laughs> but that's just the first half. And I would say it's, it's about halfway through that the song appears, right? Hmm. Yeah, uh, properly for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the actual sort of the scene we'll go on to speak about later. And annoyingly, the second half of the movie, I really enjoyed. And by the end of it, I really enjoyed the film overall. Yeah, I, I left it thinking, do you know what? That's really good. I get why everyone likes that. So you liked it once she became, oh, look, it's a pretty woman. Because Julia Roberts was not a pretty woman beforehand. <laughs> no, it was uh, the emotionless banker. When he finally started to show emotion, I could finally uh, relate <laughs> yeah. to somebody on screen. But that was just Richard Gere trying to act throughout the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I, on the whole, I would say I enjoyed the movie, though I wish that they'd have spent that first 50 minutes maybe having more scenes of like really establishing why Vivian and Edward are falling for each other outside of just this woman is being paid to be near him. Yeah, well, I think that, I think that's kind of that's kind of a crux of it, to be honest. 
Well, exactly. And the fact that we can all say it in like an eight-word sentence and it takes 50 minutes in the mm, film. Yep. I think it's because they're trying to make it seem like they have, yes, a general connection, which they go on to have, but there's no denying that a part of the connection has to be either the allure of the sexuality of Vivian mm-hmm. or the fact that this guy is absolutely loaded <laughs> and is buying her all these things, all these huge grand gestures. You cannot be fake enough to assume that that has nothing to do with this relationship. Yeah, I, ju- I just feel like it gets a bit cramped. Like, there's a bit where they, they have sort of an argument and that argument happens in one scene and by the next scene, they're friends again and it's ne- it never happened. Where it feels like it, it sh- there should have been more time to breathe for some of the stuff in the second half. But generally, I enjoyed the ride on the second half. Yep. Oh. I think I think I do quite like this film. It's uh, It's a very satisfying, like, movie in that it's like, very kind of Hollywood glossy. It's a rom-com. The two main characters or actors are both very good in the film and you enjoy them both on screen and separately and together. So I like it in that sense in that it, in like all films from kind of like the late 80s to sort of mid 90s, it just feels like a film. I, I don't know if that's like descriptive enough. All right, Harry Styles. <laughs> You know what I'm getting at, though. But yeah, modern day that would that this would go straight to Netflix, wouldn't it? Uh, well, not if it had Julia Roberts and Richard Gere in it, maybe not. But yeah, well, uh, maybe if it did nowadays. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think I think kind of what 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 I find odd about this film is that there is a much darker film that was made on a different timeline about yes, the yes. same exact subject matter. Yeah, and like this kind of film. I don't think does get, like you said, go straight to Netflix. I, don't, I almost don't think this film gets made anymore because yeah, there's no way they could have this storyline and it be like all kind of essentially upbeat and like story, ta- story like fairy tale romance. It just wouldn't work. It'd have to be something that is a lot more like gritty and less yeah. cynical and a bit more twisted. And I think mm-hmm. like, yeah, because like if it gets made today, it, it is a drama. And, like, she has, like, less agency. She has less control over the kind of chaos that led to her sex work. Because she's very much of the, like, these are my rules about being a prostitute. Uh, she, she She's, like, shown as someone who has, like, a lot of, I don't know, just, like, a lot of control over everything that she yes. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, she, which she couldn't have in a, in, a, in a film that's made now. And, and, like, where he's, like, as well, sort of, he's not looking for the sex at the beginning is he he's like looking for directions so there's like this element of play in the film where they're both sort of innocent and i just i just think it's you watch it today and you're like i don't really buy it other yeah than, i get other that. than that it's, it's context of a as a as a hollywood rom-com so mm. i like it but i feel like it is a film of it very much of its time yeah not necessarily a bad thing because like we can all enjoy like escapism and it is a rom-com you know it's supposed to be like that but it's just i think because of the subject matter it's dealing with it feels like yeah you would never see something like this again Uh, i i'd completely accept that yeah it almost feels like if you made it today because we live in a a slightly more sex positive world whilst bankers are seen as like demons sucking money off people the roles would be sort of reversed yeah Potentially. He's not like a golden gecko, like <laughs> admirable, I want to be him growing up now. Bankers are like, oh, we don't want to talk about them. Like the, like the big shot was the entire film just being about bankers or wankers. <laughs> bankers or wankers, yep. Yeah, I think I think definitely this film nowadays is, is in grayscale. And someone probably uh, dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it probably be, um, and it would involve OnlyFans. 
I think as well, like when I was watching it, because I've not actually seen that many films with Richard Gere, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Trip. I think maybe we've discussed it before, but there's a um, there's a part on there where I think it's Steve Coogan's talking about Richard Gere in films and how he just does the same thing in every scene where he oh, kind yeah. of like looks off into the distance as if he's like remembering something from his past and like kind of chuckles <laughs> to himself and then comes back to the scene and it's just like he's watching this. <laughs> thinking he's just that, I can that. literally picture that exact moment. <laughs> he's just doing it the entire film. Have you seen um, Primal Fear? No. No. One of Edward Norton's first films. A really good film. Really good film. It's like a very sort of typical 90s courtroom drama. It doesn't involve clapping, though, unfortunately. It's not the centre of a woman. <laughs> no one stands up and claps at the end. Yeah. It's not the centre of a woman. <laughs> Take a flame throw to that place. J.F. Lawton, who wrote the screenplay for this, also did the screenplay for Under Siege and Under Siege 2. So, um, the swings and roundabouts. So, if there was a sequel to this, it'd just be the same film, but on a boat. They, <laughs> I think they attempted to do a sequel for this. I'm getting used to just reading articles, and then it's just, and a sequel was attempted. We think of sequel problems being a modern thing. They've been trying for a long time. <laughs> I think it's just a lot easier nowadays. Isn't this film just on about Titanic? Um, think about it. <laughs> it's hurting my head. Jack's not rich, though, is he? No, but it's no, no, it's the other way around, is what I'm saying. Rose is, is Rose Richard Gere. Yeah. Yep. I don't remember the shopping scene. <laughs> She's no, there was that scene where he's wearing a tux. Uh, I suppose. Just if you think about it in more it, detail, it, it'll come to you. Pretty woman, <laughs> pretty woman would be an A-star film if it had Billy Zane in it. I mean, you could literally <laughs> say that about any film. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So this was the third highest grossing film of the 1990s. This was the third highest grossing movie of 1990 behind Shredder Orpheus. <laughs> Only joking. Uh, it was behind Ghost and Home Alone 1. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's the highest ever grossing rom-com, according to Box Office Mojo. Now, I guess that depends on how you define a, a rom-com, but this was the, yeah. this was the at the steady incline of Julia Roberts. Like this is still early in her ascension. Like we've still got Notting Hill to come, which is basically just uh, imagine meeting Julia Roberts. Is basically what Notting <laughs> Hill is about, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is why it works. She has an allure like of a stardom. I think to, was it quite well known that she insured her smile for like a million dollars or something? It was something weird of the time. Um, she obviously peaks what with a Oscar win in Erin Brockovich, which is a great film. So she goes on to have pretty good, probably dominates the nineties really for stardom, um, especially as an actress. She was nominated for an Academy Award for this film, which might surprise you, because rom coms often don't get that. That is surprising. Lost out to Kathy Bates. Lost out to Kathy Bates. Yes. I mean yes. that is well deserved. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Very similar to this film really when you think about it. <laughs> it is the same. <laughs> I need to stop thinking of this as if you're saying poignant points. <laughs> it's hurting my head just looking off into the distance. So yeah, one thing I always think is problematic, and whether that's this is of the time, and I think we've mentioned it before, there's 18 years difference between Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. It's a very common thing of Hollywood, like when we talk about Hollywood films, whether it uh, gives us a warm feeling or not, it is a typical of just a very old man and a very young woman. So I think he was 14, she's 22 at the time of this. I don't often think of it when I'm watching it. Uh, it isn't Grace Kelly and Cary Grant in, oh, in um, <laughs> what's it called? Is it Catch a Thief? Yes, the one with the, where is, they wear the cat uh, with the cat yeah. burgles and stuff. Yep, yep, which is... Or uh, Kara Knightley in Love Actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 also creepy. <laughs> There's plenty of examples out there. I think it's, when you look at Richard Gere though, he doesn't look that old, but he's, you know... No, no, no. 
So the film was originally going to be called $3,000, which is a terrible name for a film, um, because that's the amount of money Vivian and Edward finally agree upon for her week of service. Um, And similar to what we were saying, there was going to be a darker film originally in the script. Like, J.F. Lawton went and interviewed a lot of um, sex workers around Hollywood to kind of understand, you know, the, the character and the role and the life that they live. And the corporate raiding which, you know, was Richard, uh, Richard Gere's doing at the time and did a lot of research into that. So I think he was trying for a really serious film, but it's Disney. Like, this is, you know, this is a Disney film. It's, it's not going to. Yeah. I'd say it was actually made by Disney at the time as well. Yeah, I think, the well, at least the funding is Disney, yes. I don't know what, what kind of letterhead it has at the start of the film. Is it Touchstone? It might, yeah, it might, that make, well, Touchstone would make sense. But yeah, the reason that they changed the film name from $3,000 was because they acquired the rights, Disney acquired the rights to the song Oh Pretty Woman by Roy Orbs. When you say acquired the rights, do you mean like unrelated to this film, they just happened to have purchased the rights? And it was like, oh. I, I don't know because it, there's no, there's nothing that I see of the director saying, oh, I want this song or the writer saying, I want this song. Disney must have been in that process, a bit like what a lot of people were doing at the time. You always heard about Michael Jackson doing it, you know, people just buying people's works, I guess, as maybe as they've, you know, died or their family have aged out or the rights have been relinquished. When when did Roy Orbison die? Because he died in there. He died quite young. Um, Was it it around this time? Is that why the song into We'll go into that a little bit. Um, Good. (laughs) Before we uh, fully go into the song, can I just uh, give a shout out to my boy Barney? Is is that the uh, the guy who works in the, the the guy from Princess Diaries? Hotel manager. Is the uh, is the taxi driver from Princess Diaries? Is it? He, oh. Well, because it's directed by the same bloke. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah, he's the character with the heart of gold in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the heart and soul of the movie, and he sort of quietly goes on a a character redemption arc over the course of the movie in the background. And when they have their sort of uh, when Vivian and Barney have their sort of final farewell. It's probably the most heartfelt scene of the entire movie. It might even be the reason why I enjoyed the second half of the movie so much, because I'm like, my boy, Barney, is doing great work. <laughs> yeah, I he's one of those characters that he is telling his own narrative with just like a smile and, and a gaze. <laughs> exactly. Just just a wry smile about what someone says, and you, you, you already know everything you need to know about Barney. <laughs> I've often thought like it's one of those things where uh, the director shine, line, line, and he's like, what he was just dazing off into the distance, but it's just so damn attractive. The kid being, <laughs> and he basically plays the exact same role in Princess Diaries, which is a fantastic film. <laughs> no arguments here. So before we go and talk about a pretty woman, I just want to give a mention to several iconic songs that are in this film. None of them really have a huge affinity with the film, so we won't go into detail. But there are some absolute bangers of songs. There's the King of Wishful Thinking which is an absolutely incredible song. Um, Show Me Your Soul by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is a great song. And there's a big throwback, a huge throwback, for the operatic song La Triviata, which Richard Gere plays parts of on the piano himself. So he's actually playing the piano, which is thrown into doubt every time I watch a film and I see someone at a piano. I always assume, now they're not playing that. Now I don't know. Now I don't know. And I never will know. And I just have to learn to accept that. There is one other, one song that does have quite a big mention, which is Rock Sets It Must Have Been Love. We fans of this song? Uh, I mean, I know the song. I wouldn't have said I was a fan of it. But did that song presumably 
is contemporary with this film, is it? Was this? I didn't think it was, and it doesn't have loads of mentions, but my wife recognised the relationship between this song and the film, and it has quite an important moment, so in the the kind of the, it's like the goodbye scene of the film, I guess, it plays over it while Julia Roberts, Vivian gets in the car to go away but does it, I mean, does, do you remember that? It's been a very long time since I've seen this film, so no. Do you, do you remember that watching it fairly recently? <laughs> Um, no. Exactly. Same. I remember there was music playing, but for the life of me, I wouldn't have remembered what it was. I think I might have assumed in my head it was just like a, a musical interlude from Oh Pretty Woman. No, yeah, it's, like I say, but you you know the song, don't you? I think it's on a lot of my Power Ballad playlists, for which I have many. Yeah, it feels like the kind of song that up until you said it was in this film, that I was like, that song must be the main song from a film. Because it just sounds like it is from an from an, film, it, prob- but... it probably is from another film, but I mean, it's a pretty popular breakup song. This is this song is in a lot of top breakup lists of all time. I uh, can imagine the heavy um, mascara dripping down from the vastly airy, uh, windswept look of a lot of uh, of a lot of uh, singers from the late eighties, early nineties. The song we are talking about today is "Oh Pretty Woman." The "O" isn't always referenced in some of the versions, but the original version is "O, comma Pretty Woman." And it's a song recorded by legendary American singer-songwriter, the big O, the Caruso of rock, Roy Orbison. The Caruso of rock is a very good nickname. It is a great name. Yeah, that's one of the better ones. Well, then we are claiming the Caruso podcast. Yes, please. (laughs) We can be. Well, last week with the Calypso podcast. (laughs) Queen of country podcast. Yeah. So the song was originally released in 1964, spent three weeks at number one on the Billboard 100, and was Roy Orbison's second number one of the US, third in the UK, and his very last. So what do we think of this song before we go into its use in the film? Well, this may come as a surprise to you, but I am a very large Roy Orbison fan. Nice. So I enjoy this song a lot. I feel like this song was very prominent. In my childhood, I don't know whether it was very prominent in both of yours, but I felt like it was around mm. an awful lot. And it was just kind of that song that you just knew. I, I don't know why. It's got a very, very catchy um, kind of lead guitar riff. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, yeah. And just as a song on its own, I just enjoy it a lot, as as I enjoy Roy Orbison. It was one of the very first compilation albums I had in my, when I got a car, was the Roy Orbison's Greatest Hits album. I did not know that, Alex. That is good to know. Because I thought I knew a lot more about this guy, and then listening to his greatest hits over the weekend, I was like, I don't think I know a lot about you. You're only the lonely in dreams, man. In I dreams. know, yes, I know. I I could. I think it was maybe four, four or five songs I could name, and then and then I was done. Is his is his notoriety more specific to the US then? Uh, well, you just said then that his uh, he had more UK number ones than in the US. Didn't yeah, you? true. But I guess of the time, like uh, you know, when I think of like longevity, you know, you think of those kind of like I guess acts of the time of the fifties and the sixties that have kind of continued into the modern day. Yeah, is his name one of them? I think with him, what happened was he was very successful early on, so like the late fifties, six into the sixties, and then he kind of essentially disappeared. Off yeah, the radar like yeah. for for a long time. Obviously, he was in the um, the traveling uh, Will. Is it Wilburys? Is your favorite traveling yes. Wilbury? Jeff yeah, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> so he was in them. I think there was a resurgence because there was a lot of um, in the eighties. Obviously, you know, like with films like um, 
I want to say Back to the Future. I guess Back to the Future is an example. But there was a lot of kind of like 50s, 60s nostalgia oh, around like the, that Like time. the rockabilly sort of stuff. Yeah, so I think he came back into favour then. So I don't think it's a surprise that this, even though this film is from 1990, it's a very 80s movie, isn't it? And when we go on to talk about his use and stuff, I might touch on one of my favourite mm-hmm. films, Blue Velvet, because his uh, song in Dreams is very prominent in that film, which is obviously an 80s movie as well. So I think I think he did kind of come back into the to uh, the kind of cultural framework in the 80s. So that might make sense as to why it's kind of featured here. Makes a lot of sense. Maybe. I'm just guessing, but I think that... I know. I, I will, I, I, allegedly, I think that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Allegedly bowed down to Alex's knowledge. <laughs> Figurative. <laughs> Goody. Am I talking about the scene or, or my knowledge of Roy Orbison? Because you... <laughs> I'm telling you right now, Ben, I don't have much of a knowledge of Roy Orbison. Why do you Everything talk... I know Why do you... about him is either from this movie... Or, like, via the osmosis of listening to smooth radio constantly. <laughs> Why don't you talk about the song and then go into its use, if you want. Okay. Well, I like the song, and via having a television and a radio, I've heard this song many, many times before I'd ever seen the movie. I did actually, um, stupidly, start the movie without knowing what the song was going to be, and it wasn't until I heard the riff I went, of course it's this song. <laughs> you do what, not realise. What, what kind of idiot am I that I put on a movie called Pretty Woman and didn't think that this song would be the song from that film. Ugh. <laughs> I didn't realise. <laughs> anyway, I thought the um, the Old Pretty Woman montage was probably the best part of the entire movie for me. As I said earlier, the movie was, I guess it was quite dry to that point, maybe by design. Uh, but the montage of Vivian trying on all the different outfits, turning heads in the street, and I think what makes it probably the best montage bit is when she goes back into the posh clothes store that had rejected her earlier in the film. Mistake. And uh, gets one over on the, the snooty douchebag. Yeah, lots of clicking fingers in the cinemas, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, Lot, lots of head nods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The introduction of like the, the riff and then the montage itself, it was like the spark of life of them in the movie. Just sort of like kick up the backside. It probably put me in such a good mindset. Maybe, maybe it wasn't my boy Barney that uh, kept me going in the second <laughs> half. Maybe it was just the uh, the life that I'd got from this scene yeah. Yeah. that made me like it. Maybe this is the montage that gives the movie enough credibility with the audience to walk away thinking, "Yeah, I really enjoy Pretty Woman." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like I said, I, I do like the film, but I do think this is where it struts. Like the song is such yeah. a strut song. <laughs> It yeah. does, it almost picks up the pace like with the beat and yeah it does I do think it rides a lot smoother from this point on. It reminds me the montage its placement in the movie and it's sort of again that injection of life into the film. It reminds me of Groundhog Day when you get the montage okay. of Bill Murray repeating yeah, yeah. multiple days over and mm-hmm. over. Have you ever gone back to watch that film recently? Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Day maybe in the last sort of 3 or 4 years. It's really long <laughs> and it's <laughs> yeah. very very grey. Yep, yep. And I feel like people go, oh, I love Groundhog Day, and just think about that montage. Uh, yeah, I, d- I don't love And Groundhog I feel Day. like that might be happening with me, with Pretty Woman. <laughs> That's fair. Well, you know what? You know where to start the next time you watch it. Yeah, I can just read the premise, and then go straight to the montage and watch the rest of the film. Yep, definitely. It was considered the fourth best song of 1964. Alex, any guesses what was ahead of it? Three songs by the Beatles. <laughs> Wrong, you idiot. It was two songs by the Beatles. <laughs> And one by Louis Armstrong. Any guesses which one? Uh, what a Wonderful World. Oh. No, no, I'm not, not the Louis Armstrong. <laughs> the Beatles one, to me. Yeah. Uh, 1964. Ooh, um... Come on, Alex. Help. Come on, Alex. Nope. Uh, Earlier. Earlier. 
He's earlier than that. He's asking for help. Come on. <laughs> Want to hold your hand? Yep, number one. Well done. Um, I don't know. Eight days a week. Is that that? She loves you. Oh, she loves you. Yeah. And then Hello Dolly by Louis Armstrong. Alex, you were in your musings earlier, you were also right. Roy Orbison died aged f- only 52 of a heart attack in 1988. Mm-hmm. So likelihood was, yeah, maybe his, the rights to a lot of his songs came up for sale, went to auction probably as they usually do, and Disney bought it. Seems to make sense. It does seem to make sense. Yeah. So the song Pretty Woman, do we know who is the pretty woman? His wife. It was his wife, yes, <laughs> wife. His wife, Claudette. Apparently it was inspired by his wife saying she was going out. And Orbison asked if she had enough cash. And apparently his co-writer, uh, Bill Dees, said, A pretty woman never needs any money. Which I, <laughs> oh, God. I think is a bit weird to say. Not just about someone's, w- someone's wife, but just in general. <laughs> wow. The LP is different to having the original single. Because the lines, come with me, baby, was changed to come to me, baby, as if the former was considered more risque. Does that work? So come with me was considered come with me, more baby risky. Was considered more risky than come to me, baby. Risky or risque? Risque. It's very 1960s risque. Uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Because like, come have an orgasm with me or follow me to the bedroom is the two options there, isn't it? Yeah, I kind of accept that. But yeah, it doesn't. After this, he kind of, his career more or less stagnated. In general, though, I was reading um, quite a lot about Roy Orbison and listening to a few podcasts. That man had bad luck. Yes, a very dark life. His life was incredible. Oh, yeah, incredibly dark. I don't know if you're ready, but his wife, Claudette, who this song is about, I guess his, uh, you know, song to her, she died two years after it was released. She was hit by a car. Um, apparently she was an inspiration for a lot of his songs then two years after that in 1968 while he was on tour he heard news that in in his home in Tennessee his house had burned down and his two eldest sons had died inside wow I know how awful is that so this kind of spring he's basically his career starts to go downhill stagnate his wife dies in tragic circumstance his two eldest sons die in tragic circumstance and he himself you know he only lived until he was 52 it's so sad in a way, it's kind of nice that his, you know, his song to his wife is the thing that outlives him. Because I think this song is a lot bigger than him. I don't know if you would disagree, Alex, as someone who's a fan. And I know he is someone who is seen in quite high regard in, I guess, critical circles and those that, you know, being in rock and roll and origins of music of the 50s and 60s. But I think this song's bigger than him. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think um, it's only later on that he was seen in like a, such a critically positive way i think okay. at the time he was kind of very mainstream yeah yes yes there's definitely. a there's a there's a good interview because i mentioned blue velvet already but there's a good interview with david lynch as to why he uses robes and songs in his films because i think it's not just blue velvet i think he uses a couple of others in different uh situations but it's kind of like this idea of him being like when david lynch was growing up he was kind of like the person you just heard all the time on the radio because it was like it was essentially the the music your parents listened to. Yes, he he was Mr. Clean Cut as opposed yeah. to like the Elvis and the Johnny Cash. Exactly that, yeah. But whereas I think when you listen in more detail to it, Danny, there's like a there's there is a sadness to the songs, and I think like maybe not so much this one, but certainly if you do think about In Dreams, which is a song to his wife who is at that point, I think, dead. So I think that that song is about him kind of reaching out in mm. his dreams to his wife who is lost. 
I think kind of like the timbre to his voice has got like there is a sadness to it, and even in this song, I think it's there that gives it a bit more depth, and it kind of just hints at something underneath, which I think is why David Lynch used it so well because you know his films are often about like normal suburban life and the yeah. stuff the underbelly that you don't quite see. I think maybe that's when I was watching this. I was I was thinking that this song works better if the film is slightly grittier. I do really like the scene, and I think everything that D said about it is right. Like I think it is. The, probably the highlight of the film. But I think it just worked better in a film that has a, a slightly more grit to it, was my thought. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to go back to your um, original point, Benny, I think the song probably is bigger than him because it's just so... I think it's just so well-known and maybe people don't necessarily know it's by him, although I think most people would if they don't know anything else by him. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely taken on a life of its own, I would say. Yes, and it's taken on such a life that it has inspired two covers <laughs> for which I would like to discuss. One, surprisingly to my two colleagues here, actually has more relevance than you'd think. So, according to places on the internet, now I can't find a source that I trust, but apparently those involved in the film originally didn't want the Roy Orbison version. They wanted the Van Halen version. No. Well, I mean... <laughs> now, the, the Van Halen version is... is I don't think very good, no. but the music video, my word, that, that's a music video. <laughs> Did you watch the music video, guys? Yeah, I watched I watched as much as I could take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's>... yeah. <laughs> that's a good way of wording it, Alex. I tapped out after 20 seconds. <laughs> yes, it was actually banned from MTV of the time, apparently. It was banned. <laughs> MTV refused to show it. Yeah, it's the difference between being banned and being refused. <laughs> this was at a time when MTV played a lot, but that's not the song that actually has relevance. Now, there was a cover. In, ni- <laughs> in 1989, they could have used it in this film, by rap group Two Live Crew. So they recorded a parody of the Roy Orbison song, using the alternate title Pretty Woman, so without the O, for their album As Clean As They Wanna Be. <laughs> now, they they sample the distinctive bass line, they replace some of the lyrics about a hairy woman and a bald-headed friend. <laughs> it's a parody song. It's a parody song. You look at the album cover, it's it's a parody. I love that the album cover says something like, there are no explicit lyrics in this album. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really, to be fair, for what you expect. I mean, did you listen to this song, guys? Yes. I, I did as much as I could stomach. Okay. Okay, Alex? Yeah, it's uh, equal. Like, I didn't listen to, to it all. I got the gist after about 20 seconds. Yeah. Like, it's a novelty, run DMC style song. I'll tap out now, thanks. They teach this song in law classes in America. You see, I saw that as the top comment. I was like, oh, I don't understand <laughs> this joke. <laughs> no, in especially in entertainment law, this song is one of the paramount examples in a fair use case. I think it went all the way to the Supreme Court. So wow. Robson's family sued Two Live Crew, saying that, you know, the they'd basically used the the riff without their permission, that it was too close to the original song. Two Live Crew argued that, you know, it wasn't. They're just sampling the bass line and everything else is just, you know, a parody. And they won. So apparently it greatly expanded the doctrine of fair use uh, and and how parodies could be used for creative profit. So, you know, it influenced a lot of Weird Al Yankovic's work going forward. I'm going to say he must have been fist pumping the air. Yeah, well, exactly. Popping champagne at the uh, Weird Al mansion, presumably. Yeah, sampling of music was huge in the 80s. Like, absolutely huge, especially in rap. Beastie Boys... Paul's Boutique, which is a fantastic album, it is incredibly heavily sampled. And then Bismarcky was sued by 
what's his name, Engelbert Humperdinck, <laughs> and then and lost. And after that, it became really hard to sample music. And basically, a lot of artists started suing other artists that were using their music. This basically pushed that back just a little bit and was huge for the nineties. So, Two Live Crews version of Pretty Woman has relevance. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that it's better. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the first the first thing that ever causes to have a, an actual physical altercation. <laughs> Allegedly, it's better. When uh, Ben got his first car, he actually only used to listen to the two Live Crew's greatest hits. <laughs> D, D, I only got a car so I can listen to this song in private. <laughs> <laughs> what an image. Top five. Top five time. This time round. Just because I want to see the creative minds of D and Alex at work. Creative. I want to Uh know how many, and I think you can do this fairly easy, but I just want to know what you can come up with. Can you at least come up with five films named after hit songs? Not counting Pretty Woman. Um, Alex, no Beatles songs. No Beatles songs? Oh, because I was going to say Yellow Submarine. For some reason, Against All Odds comes straight to mind. Yep, well, it works. Um, I mean, we've, I've already mentioned Blue Velvet. That is the yep. one. Um, ooh. Uh, Men in Black. <laughs> no, I don't think that counts. <laughs> that definitely does not count. I love that. <laughs> don't love it. Come on, you can do this. <laughs> I mean, a lot of James Bond films. No, you can't. No, it's not. You're breaking the version. Come on, guys. Footloose. Footloose. Well, the song is from the film, isn't it? The song is from the film Footloose. So I don't know if that will count. Okay. So I can't have Grease. <laughs> <laughs> You're just picking films in which Brackets Lightning. The, 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 the written a song for the film, called it the song, and you work it. Yeah, okay, what, about okay. so, what about songs named after films, like Breakfast at Tiffany's? <laughs> <laughs> Reversed. Um, God. I thought it would be easy for you, especially you, D. Me? I don't know, I'm just pulling your chin. It's a lot of dead air. I know, I, I'm really struggling. There's a lot of dead air. I'm surprised that you couldn't at least name five. Well, I did. I mean, there's, fa- there's at least five James Bond films. It's not, do, no, we can't, you can't do this. To be fair, a lot of examples online of the James Bond films. Have you got a list of like five, top five? Alex, I've got a list of about, of about 3,000. Um, oh, right. American Pie. Oh, yes, American Pie. Great. Fantastic. That's a really good one, Dee. Well done. That's a great (laughs) one. Thank you. Alex has a website which I think has just found, uh, has equated songs by artists to the same name, such as, for example, Bridge of Spies by (laughs) Tapao. Which is not Boom by POD. (laughs) There is a film called Boom, (laughs) and there is a song. Uh, American Pie is very good. You've got four. Can you think of one more? Um, and not James Bond song. Not James Bond. E.T. by Katy Perry. No, it's just like that. It doesn't work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. Uh, Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink. Yeah, but the that, song yeah. is for the film. Again, the song is for same, the film. Same, same ah, situation. I'm really struggling. So I'm just throwing anything where I know there's a song. Um, yeah. Hence the podcast. <laughs> for, a, for, for a podcast about songs from movies. You've let me down. I guess, like, oh god, there'll be there will be examples of like uh, Walk the Line is an example, isn't it? Yeah, like Johnny Cash. Yeah. Stuff like I that. Think That's really good. Like biopics are probably a good example. Yeah, they were the, they were a good Bohemian Rhapsody. You could have gone Bohemian for all Rhapsody, of those of things. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Avatar by Dave Chappelle. <laughs> there's, there's a new film about David Blake called Moon Age Daydream, which is a song. Nice, nice. Yeah. Rocket Man. 
Rocket Man. Rocket Man, there you go. Yes. I'm loving this website because this website is just found. Godzilla by Kesha. <laughs> Hero by <laughs> those guys from Sp- Spider-Man is a film, a Chinese film. Oh, you could also have Hero by Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that more famous version of, uh, of a song called it. Wow. <laughs> Jumanji by Azalea Banks. The list goes on. I'm done. But, but what examples are there of, of, of actual films that are named after songs? Uh, I've lost my list because I've started going through all these terrible ones now. I'm really interested in um, Men in Black's on this list now. <laughs> Against All Odds is actually one that's used by quite a lot, D. So uh, I think you've kind of hit the one that seems to be the most popular on a lot of other people's lists. Well, like I say, I listen to a lot of smooth radio. Mm-hmm. Phil Collins is on like every other song. It's it, She's Like the Wind. Just the Tarzan and and, and all anything by Phil Collins. If you put it on for 20 minutes, you're going to hear one of those. Stand By Me is a popular oh, one. Okay. Oh, that's yes. a good one. Um, Dazed and Confused, the Led Zeppelin song, and the Link, Richard Linklater film. Jumping Jack Flash from these things like this. Okay. So now it is time for movie or song. So this week we're deciding if the movie Pretty Woman is better than the song Oh Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. Alex, uh, over to you. It's a rare occurrence for me, but I'm I, interested. I'm interested what Alex thinks of this one. I'm definitely choosing so. It's not often that I do, but in this case I am doing because, as I have already said, I'm a big Roy Orbison fan. And I only sort of like the film. I think it's fine. I think there are other films like it that you know are just as good. I don't think it stands out as being like an excellent version of the film that it is either. So, so definitely fair enough. Ben, I was looking at my lists of movies that I have rated over my years, and apparently this is my sixth favorite Julia Roberts film. <laughs> and on that, that should have been your top five, Ben. <laughs> what, what are Ben's five favorite Julia Roberts films? Yeah. You'll never guess number one. Uh, is it not here? Damn, I do love Notting Hill. Um, yeah, and for that reason and that reason alone, I will accept that this song is better and I can still allow... <laughs> it's not the cat. It is, yes, Lynn. Um, I can still allow this song to exist because that's how we work on this podcast. Yep, I'm actually surprised. I, I'm also picking the song. <gasps> I didn't expect it to be a clean sweep, to be honest. This is rare that we have songs win. Yeah, it is rare, isn't it? On a it? film podcast. <laughs> And a song podcast. Come no, on. it's a film podcast. Um, yeah, I just think the song, the guitar riff itself is probably more iconic to me than the film, even though, as I've said before, there's so many like pop culture references to this film. The song just, uh, it, it's, it's just better. Sorry, listeners who are potential fans of Pretty Woman, who are listening for the first time. I'm sure there is some. Sorry, guy who wrote Under Siege 2. <laughs> He's not sorry. He made so much money off that. Probably do, probably really did. Perpetuating the life of Steven Seagal. <laughs> is there a is worse crime? Is there a worse? I don't know. It's fucking. Was Tommy Lee Jones was in one of them, wasn't he? Was he in the first one? Presumably. <laughs> Presumably. Allegedly. Anyway. Ding. <laughs> Thank you for joining that song from that movie. Um, let us know on Twitter which one you think is better, the movie or the song. Uh, Alex, where should the listeners let us know which one's better? TSFT and uh, no, what? I, yes, on Twitter. I messed up that question, but we're going to leave it in the edit. There's a question There's a question mark at the end of the uh, Twitter handle. So you can also share this on Reddit. But Ben, what random subreddit should they share it on this week? The Two Live Crew subreddit. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, makes sense. sense. that makes sense. And so you can also help the podcast by buying our merch, leaving a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast, signing up to be one of our patrons, 
or just telling your friends. Yeah. All the links are in the show notes. So all I have now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Wow, that was so good, I almost peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from Ben. Eat, Pray, Love is my second favourite Julia Roberts film. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly allegedly so goodbye everybody bye mystic pizza's third mystic yeah. <laughs> go on see the other two erin uh, brockovich and wonder wonder is that film with Owen Wilson? yeah was that good and uh, it was all right Do you want me to go on to my actual thoughts of the film? Yeah, 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 yes. No. yes, please, Dietrich. That's why we're all here. All of us, really? Well, <laughs> some some people. <laughs> Alex especially. Not me. He ain't here for me. He ain't here for me.